Good evening. Tonight we have the famous account that you just heard of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It happened in John chapter 13, um, and really the series that we're going through, the portraits of a Savior from the Gospel of John, starts right here, and it goes all the way through Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Um, But to understand that story that we just heard, you really have to start, and really the whole series, you start at the, the prelude that, that John has in chapter 13, verse 1, where it says this. He says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And what is John saying right there? He's saying this about Jesus in the chapters that are coming. He's saying that Jesus is going to continue to love his disciples He's going to continue to love and pray for those in the world, but if we know what John is talking about throughout his whole gospel of John, what's he talking about? John 3.16, Jesus loves the world all the way to the end. Through and through, he loves, and through and through, he loves, what? The world and those in the world. And we have to understand that if we're going to understand what this story about Jesus washing his disciples' feet is all about, because it's going to change your heart, and it's also going to change your attitude and the way that you see other people because Jesus loved the world through and through all the way. Jesus and his disciples are eating the Passover meal on the night before he's crucified. They're lounging around as they would in Oriental culture, a table, and uh, this meal was to celebrate, to, to, to commemorate that Jewish uh, rescue out of Egypt that God had the, the, the hand in when he, he said, sacrifice that lamb. And put the blood over the doorpost. They're having that traditional meal, that remembrance meal. And uh, as they are beginning to eat, Jesus does something. He gets up off of the ground, it says. You just heard it before. And he takes off his outer robe. He puts it aside. And then what does he do? He takes a cloth, just like a servant would of the day. And he tied it around his waist. And to the shock of all of his disciples, the master Jesus gets down on his knees After filling a basin full of water, and what does he do? He washes their feet. And Peter, you remember him, what does he say? He says, Jesus, are you going to wash my feet? He's starting to blush, thinking to himself, the master shouldn't be washing my feet. And, And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, and this is key to understand, he says, you do not know what I'm doing now, but you will understand in a little while. Peter says, no, Lord, surely you are not going to wash my feet. He's being Peter, right? And what does Jesus say? If Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. This is a big integral part of who I am, and it's also a part of what I am making you, what I am giving you. And you're going to miss out on me if you don't let me wash your feet. And so what does Peter do? Peter, being Peter, takes a 180 degree turn and goes at 80 miles an hour. And what does he say? No, Jesus, if you're going to wash me, wash, wash my feet, but then wash my hands and wash my head too. Give me a Jesus bath. Peter, Jesus reminds him, when you take a shower, when you take a bath in the morning, you're clean, but then back in that culture in that time, you would walk around the roads and what would get dirty again? Your feet. His point was he was cleaning the feet because it was the dirty part. And then he made that spiritual connection to the current condition of Judas, who was sitting at the table that you heard just a little bit earlier, the devil had already entered into him and he was going to betray Jesus. Not everyone here is clean. And then Jesus says this, after this scene is done, he's washing all of their feet, 
And then he gets up, he puts his robe back on, he sits back down at the table, and did you hear what he asked his disciples? He says this, Do you understand what I've done for you? And that's your question tonight too. Do you understand what Jesus just did there? You know, the preachers that preach on this and commentators, they they find three big things that Jesus has done right here. And here are the big three thoughts to summarize them. Number one, Jesus washed in spite of his position. Jesus was their master, and he was the one that was the teacher of the group. And so here he is uh, sitting among all these these, these of his students and his followers, and what does he do? Never before had a master done what he did because he went to the lowest of the low. You see, it was common back then for um, a, a host at a, at a party or a host at a dinner to have the feet washed, but it wasn't the host's job. Whose job was it to wash the feet? Yeah, it was the servant's job. But it wasn't just any servant's job. It was the lowest of the low servants' job. In fact, there was a rabbinical law of that day that protected Jewish slaves. It said, no Jewish slave should be a foot washer, only the Gentile slaves. It was such a menial task. Now, what do you have here? You have Jesus, the master, not a Jewish slave, not even a Gentile slave, but you have the master and who? The creator of the universe. Washes without any regard of his position. Because Jesus cares incredibly little about himself. Number two, Jesus washes in spite of his circumstances. Do you think about that? A couple hours from now, what's about to happen? He's going to be arrested. His best friends are all going to leave him. He's going to be beaten in a humiliating trial. He's going to be condemned, put on a cross, and then above that, suffer through hell. And what's he thinking about this whole time? Just a couple hours before that, he's about to go through all this. And what's he thinking about? Who's washed the feet at the table yet? He's saying, who's washed the feet? And so he, he, he serves beyond his, maybe we can understand it this way, who, who has exams this week? Students? Any students out there have exams? Okay, way back there. I can't see who's at the table back there. And a couple others, you have exams this week, right? And every night you're cramming, Aaron. And every night you're cramming for exams. And uh, could I ask you quick to take one of those nights off and to wash my car and to wax it by hand? Jesus is about to undergo something big in his life. And he's about to go underneath the ultimate test and he serves beyond his circumstances in spite of his circumstances because he, he cares incredibly little about his circumstances, and he cares, the other thing is, he cares incredibly about the little things, about a foot washing. And number three, Jesus cares in spite of them. Now, who's them? They are the one that months earlier decided in his heart that he would flush Jesus down the toilet for his personal gain. They are the ones that are sitting there at the table and already had resolved in their heart. Satan had already entered in, and what does Jesus do? He goes to that, that, person's heart, that person's feet and he washes their feet. They're the ones who talked a big game, who carried a dagger and cut off somebody's ear and said, I'm going to go to die with you, Jesus. They're the ones that when Jesus was in the boat with them during the storm, they were the ones that was going to 
jumped the boat when Jesus' storm came. You see, he served in spite of who they were because he cares incredibly about them, even those who had such little faith. Jesus says, do you understand what I've just done for you? Verse 12, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Do you see that word in verse 14? It says, should. You also should wash one another's feet. Well, the original language, the Greek word there, it actually means this. It's that a word that means that, uh, that you're indebted either in a financial sense or you're under obligation to most, to all certain social or moral obligations. That's what, it, what he's saying there. He's saying you're under contract with one another. There's a legal binding that I'm making between you that you should do this. And then he says this, I set for you an example. And the word in the original language means this, a model, a pattern, an outline, a sketch, or a symbol. And so what is Jesus saying here? What, he, what is he getting at? He's saying this, I have made for you a perfect sketch about the contract that you should have with one another. What is that perfect sketch? What is that outline that he's creating for us? And if you boil it down to the very simple thought, he's actually giving his disciples what? The golden rule. I don't know about you, but when somebody sins against me, maybe I should say it this way, I, I don't know about you, but maybe when, when I am naughty or I do something bad against you and I say that I'm sorry, I want you to treat me well, right? But how about the other way around when you're treated the wrong way? I have children, and I know, children bite. <laughs> When their toys are taken from them and they can't talk yet, what do they do? They take a bite because they're angry. Jesus is saying, when I do something for you and I'm your master and I'm your teacher, and I know that I'm going to be wronged and I know that I'm, in my circumstance, I'm going to be treated unjustly, I want you to see what it is to truly love another person. And what it means to truly love another person is to serve that person regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your position, regardless of what, even who they are. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. The golden rule is great, but it breaks down, doesn't it, when we come back to earth and we think to ourselves, yeah, it sounds good on paper and it sounds good when Jesus says it and it looks good when he's modeling it in front of me. In fact, you don't even need to be a Christian, really, to agree that the golden rule is, is the rule in the heart of everybody. Even atheists or even agnostics say this, well, I don't really believe in anything, but I do believe that everybody should treat each other fairly, right? There's another version of the golden rule. It's deep down inside of their hearts. You can post blogs about love. You can make 143 characters about love. But until what? Until you actually are boots on the ground with another human being, it's a completely different game. Because how easy is it, or should I say how hard is it, 
for you to pick up the phone again and again and again with the person that is dumping on you again and again and again. How far does your patience go? And maybe how far does your patience go when you've been taken advantage of by a coworker? And you can forgive them once and you can forgive them twice and maybe three times, but after ten times, you still have to love them. Or how about being generous in the morning, helping somebody in need, and then in the afternoon getting ripped off? Or what about the, the words that your spouse has said to you again and again and again that are hurtful, that are unloving? Where are you going to get the strength humanly to serve and to love again and again and forgive again and again? Humanly, it's impossible. Imagine for a moment um, that you have just finished eating the best chicken tetralini. I can't even pronounce it right. What is it? Tetrazzini. You just finished eating the best tetrazzini of your life. Okay? Now, you don't have to imagine that if you're here in church live tonight. You finish eating, your stomach is full and happy, and you go for a walk at the park. And at the park, you see a fruit tree. It can be your favorite fruit. It's growing on a tree. And in that fruit tree that you look at, you say to yourself, well, I'm full and I'm happy. And you look at that tree, you say, whoa, that's a beautiful tree. And you want to take a picture of it, and you want to post it online. And so you go up to that tree, you admire it, and you look at it, and you say, oh, I'm going to take those cobwebs away over there, and uh, there's some dead leaves I'm going to take off over there, and there's some debris, maybe a bag in the tree that you take down, and you take off, and, you, and there's some garbage on the ground, you throw it in the trash can, gently. And then you take a picture, and you post it online. Day two, you haven't had anything to eat all day. And you're coming to the park for a walk. And if you're like me and you have had anything to eat all day, you're probably pretty cranky too. You walk up to the same tree, and now what do you see? Food! That's what you see at the tree. You go up to the tree, and instead of taking care of the tree, what do you do? You climb up on its branches, you tear down all the fruit, you, go, you, you climb up on the branch a little bit higher and higher, and you break the branches beneath you, and finally you're eating, and you're full, and you're satisfied, and what do you do? You walk away satisfied and hungry. Now, which of those two days, day one or day two, better explain the word love? Day one. Which of those two days, day one or day two, better explain your relationship with others? You see, very often we fall in love with somebody, or in our culture we say that we love something, or we fall in love with someone because maybe they're attractive and they make me feel good about myself, and they make me feel like I'm important, or maybe I fall in love with them because they have money, or I I have a relationship with a friend because they can help me, I can get something out of them, because that makes me feel good. Or maybe maybe I, I go to something or I go to someone, and I say that I love it because it fulfills me, and it makes me feel good. Which day is that? Day one or day two? Jesus is none of that. Jesus has nothing to get out of you and me. But what he did for his disciples that night was to carefully love them, take away the cobwebs, take away the debris, because he viewed them as God views you. A love that can't be reciprocated, a love that is true, the true definition of love and undeserved love and keeping the golden rule, right? 
is actually what Jesus did that night. And something that you and I, from the time that we were biting little kids to the time to today, cannot truly in our heart, like Jesus says in the book of Matthew, the evil that is there comes from the heart. So what do we say? What do we ask the question? Have I loved my neighbor all the way? What can we say now that I know that my love isn't even the purest love that I can have and it's impossible to keep this, this model, this contract that Jesus is telling me to keep? Did you remember what Jesus said to Peter just moments before? He said, you don't understand what's happening right now, but you will understand it in a little while. Because what Jesus was talking about was a love that loved Sinners, the world, people that broke this contract again and again, all the way through to the end, right? And Peter didn't realize that until it was after the next day and after Jesus rose and after Jesus restored Peter. That it was there on the cross that Jesus was doing the foot washing. Because it was there on the cross that Jesus loved beyond his and in spite of his position. Surely, this was the Son of God. And it was at the cross that Jesus loved, regardless of his circumstances. Father, why have you forsaken me? And it was there on the cross that Jesus loved what? Them. In spite. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it was there on the cross that Peter realized that Jesus was washing. This, the washing that you and I really need is the washing in our heart that has never lived out or never loved as perfectly as God has asked us to love because he loved perfectly at the cross. And he fulfilled even the golden rule his whole life. And then he finished it all the way through. He loved the world all the way to the end because he's making you into his creation, because he's forming you into his design. And he starts by taking away everything that you and I are and replacing Jesus and putting his love and his foot washing, his getting down on his knees in your place so that when God looks at you, all he sees now is this. He sees there's the perfect foot washer, there's the one that has loved their neighbor perfectly. There's the one that has never, never shot back at their spouse, never been angry with their coworker, never, never been frustrated with anybody else because, because in your heart, there's Jesus, the foot washer, who washed away all of your sins on the cross. And so this is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. Again, this is after, uh, long after Jesus has ascended. And Peter's writing this letter and he realizes it finally clicks for him. He says this, As you come to him... He's talking about Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through who? Through the foot washer. What Peter is saying is this. Listen, Jesus has given you everything in your life. He's even given you his heart. And what Jesus means to do when he gives you his heart is not that you would stay the same or that you, would, that you would just say, well, Jesus has died for my sins, now I can live however I want. But he's saying this. When he's using those terms like building blocks of a building, he's saying that God is your architect. 
God is designing you. God has redesigned and is continuing to redesign your heart. And he's saying, I'm redesigning your heart not to be like it used to be, but I'm redesigning your heart to wash feet, (laughs) to get down on your knees, to go and do the menial tasks regardless of what, who you are, regardless of how big you think that you are, regardless of how little you think that you are. I'm redesigning your heart regardless of your circumstances. And I know that all of us are going through circumstances right now, but he says, I'm designing you to work and to love other people even in the crummy circumstances and in the good circumstances. I'm redesigning your life and your heart to what? To love people who are unlovable in your life. That's who he made you to be, and that's what we must be when he says that we're built into the spiritual house that Jesus creates. I had a um, a woman once, a while ago, uh, I visited her in her home, and she, she's disabled, she's homebound, and she told me she wishes she could do something great for church. She wishes that she could truly do something and volunteer for something that would make an impact in somebody's life. And do you know what? I told her, I said, you can and you are making an impact in somebody's life because of who you are and who God designed you to be and where God designed you to be right here in your home. Because there's people in this home and there's people coming in and out of this home. Whose feet is Jesus asking us to wash? You know, this is the awesome thing about the, the idea when it says that I'm setting for you example and he used feet washing. Jesus didn't use some kind of grand example out there. He didn't like do a kidney transplant with somebody else and then say, now love other people this way. He didn't donate like a whole um, wing to a hospital and say, now you guys have to donate a wing to the hospital. He didn't do something like digging wells in Africa. What did he do? He did something so simple. He got down on his knees and he started washing feet. What's that tell you about who, who and what God is calling you to do? You can start today and you don't need a church strategy team to tell you what to do. You don't need to be trained in how to do it. Anybody from age 1 to 99 can do anything for God. And it can start right now. It doesn't have to be that it starts after you've grown in a certain uh, knowledge of Scripture and a certain knowledge of, no, Jesus says, I've given you this heart right now. Now start. You start. Where has God designed you to be in your life? And who is God designed to be around your life? And how can you today, March 8, begin to wash feet? It's not above you. It's not your circumstance. And it's not the person and their character, is it? It's all him. Um, To close the thought tonight, there was a quote from Martin Luther, the 16th century church reformer, that brought to mind when I was telling you the story about that woman uh, who thought she couldn't serve because she wasn't doing something great for the church in volunteerism. This is what Martin Luther says. He says, The prince should think, Christ has served me and made everything to follow him. Therefore, I should also serve my neighbor, protect him and everything that belongs to him. That is why God has given me this office, and I have it that I might serve him. That would be a good prince and ruler. When a prince sees his neighbor oppressed, he should think, that concerns me. I must protect and shield my neighbor. The same is true for the shoemaker, the tailor, the scribe, or the reader. If he is a Christian tailor, he will say, I will make these clothes because God has bidden me to do so. 
so that I can earn a living, so that I can help and serve my neighbor. When a Christian does not serve the other, God is not present. That is not the Christian living. But you do have Jesus' heart, you see? And you are a Christian. And he takes residence in here, in your heart, and he's designing you to be that foot washer. To be that foot washer in your home, in your community, in your office, and everywhere that he sent you. So, tonight, remember, who has served you? Who has served you beyond his position, beyond his circumstance, and has served you even when you weren't deserving? It's him. So keep him in your heart. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, you came and you made yourself lower than the lowest servant and slave for us. Thank you for giving us this beautiful teaching of, of the foot washing that you did for your disciples. You gave us the portrait of a Savior and what a Savior truly is. And it's impossible for us to live this out in our life, and even more impossible for us to live it out with the lives of other sinners that we're around. But please, Lord, help us not dwell on the golden rule, but help us to dwell on your cross where you carried it out for us perfectly. Now help us with a transformed heart like Peter writes about to be built into your kingdom, to find no job menial or big as less than deserving, but help us now to find our neighbor, to love them with the tasks that you've given us to do and to do it to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.